Thank you. Awesome. So, parents, you're going to maybe have some dialogue with your kids about baptism, about how significant it is and what it, what it means. And sometimes it's hard to determine, like, when, when are they ready to be baptized? And I would encourage you as you have the conversation, if you feel like they have a, an understanding at their age of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for them, and you feel like they're ready to make that decision, that I would encourage you to allow them to do that. My oldest daughter was five years old, and she, we were driving down the road one day, she said, Dad, in my room, I prayed and gave my heart to Jesus. And I was like, whoa, really? Like, wow, I, like, I, I'm, I'm the dad, I'm the pastor, I'm supposed to lead you through, I'm supposed to be there to do that, right? And she's like, no, God, I just feel like it was time. And I was like, whoa, okay. So a couple of years later, she was the first person that I ever got to baptize. And it's been an incredible journey for her. Now, there's times where a kid will get baptized when they're young, and when they get a little bit older, life takes over, and they struggle a little bit, and they begin to realize that I really know what I was doing. And sometimes there'll be a time where they'll want to choose to uh, go back through the waters of baptism to kind of like a fresh start, bury old way of life, raise them, walk in a new life. And that might be you. That might be you today. You might be here today. So, you know, that's something I've thought about. I've encouraged you guys to consider it. And if you're here today and you think, you know what, is it too late? No, it's not too late. We actually have a couple pairs of shorts and a couple t-shirts and some towels. So at the end of the service today, when we do this baptism, I want to encourage you. If, if you say, you know what, I don't want to wait. I don't know about tomorrow. I don't want to wait. I want to do it right now. And I, that would be awesome if that's you today. And I just challenge you if that's you today. Jennifer, will you going to, won't you come on up? And she's going to, we're not going to baptize now. She's going to share a little bit. She's going to share a little bit about her, her journey that she's been on recently. And then I know I talked with Joe earlier too. Like, if you have been going through this community Bible experience, if you've been in, getting involved in a community group and, and God's done some neat stuff through the Word of God in your heart and you just want to share a brief testimony of what it what that looks like and what God's been doing in, in your heart I would love for you to come and share that all right so I know Joe said he would too Joe won't you come on up and if anybody else you, if you feel like you have a word today then I would ask you to do that so this mic this mic's on and so and I'll let her kind of share her story with you so Jennifer go ahead first I thought Brady was going to wait for this but evidently not so <laughs> I'm Jennifer Parsons and right off the bat I'll let you know I'm a crier so I'm very sorry <laughs> I'm a school teacher, and I'm a crier there, too, so it's always good cries. But um, So I wrote out a little thing um, last night about my journey through Bible study um, because I am the young lady who will be uh, baptized today. I've been baptized before, and I've converted to Catholicism a number of years ago. Um, but this year, or the past year, in 2016, I turned 45, and in November I said to myself, um, I need to find my way back to the Lord. I had had a decade from about 2007 until now that everyone has ebbs and flows, those difficult times and those really rejoiceful times. I had been through a divorce. Um, I lost my grandmother. I started a new job of teaching. And then a few years after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And although I know I have faith because I needed it, when I started Bible study, that turned to something totally different. I tell students always, there's words, and words are just words until you actually take action with them. And so in, in Bible study, I know I have faith, but faith was a word that I was saying 
It wasn't a word I was living. And I know there was more for me to do with that faith, to say and to share that with other people and to listen to their stories of their faith. So throughout Bible study, I feel like that's what renewed my, not my necessarily my faith, but my journey to take on what the Lord had asked of me and to find my purpose and to not worry about um, all the things that I couldn't control. And so I am thankful, one, for the calling church and for Pastor Brady, although I've known them for a very long time, but didn't come to church here, and Miss Emma, who I love very much. Um, when I stepped through those doors, the church has changed my life. Bible study has changed me because I know that I'm going to walk and actually do that faith that I said I have inside of me. And so I just thank you, Brady, and thank you to the church. And, and I encourage others, um, you can say you can read the word and that you have that faith. But until you start to decide and actually let that all go and really take those words that his arms are open wide for you and you want to go on in, you will not know that until you actually live that and then take that on for yourself. So blessings to you all, and I hope you have a wonderful message from Pastor Brady today. <laughs> Thank Thank you. You. Amen. Amen. It's okay for her to cry, Joe, but you're not going to cry, are you? I, don't, I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. I, don't I got my notes here. There you go. Yeah. Um, I am looking over this crowd here, and I would assume that everybody's read the Bible, and everybody knows what the whole thing means. Well, <laughs> I didn't and I haven't. And I spent the last eight weeks reading the New Testament. And I'm telling you, it is an awesome experience to go through that study. It opened my eyes like they've never been opened before. Great, great story. And we went through it in eight weeks. I've tried to read the Bible 75 times. And I get like through two chapters and I give up because it's so hard to understand. This study makes it very, very clear and simple. So if you didn't get a book, borrow one from somebody and go through it. And grab some people and put them together and go through it because it will absolutely change the way you think and the way you view God and what he can do and the awesome things that are coming for us. When the tribulation comes, reading Revelations was a scary. what's going on. God tells us not to, not to try to understand everything because if we do, we will fail. We will fail if we try to understand everything. So just put your faith in God and just say, it's all yours. I'm here. I'm here as your, your humble servant. And I just thank Pastor Brady for putting that study in front of us and also giving me the, the three minutes he told me I had to, uh, <laughs> to talk about the experience and what really went on. So, thanks very much. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Joe uh, was a salesman, so you got you know you got to be careful. Salesmen and pastors, you get if you're both, you're you know you'll be here for for all day long. Well, we we're gonna jump into uh, just we're gonna we're, we're not even gonna. We're not going to be able to swim in it. We're just going to be able to wade in the book of Revelation today because it's, there, there is so much to it. So I, I want you to just, we're, going to get, we're just going to get an overview, an overview of what, 
what this book is about. There's some things that I want you to know. There's some things that I want you to feel. And there are some things I want you to do when we're done, okay? Hi, Amelia. Hi, sweet baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, they're on the front row. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so would you just, let's just pray because the book of Revelation is like trying to eat an elephant, all right, in one week. And it's just, you just can't, you just can't do it. And Jesus walks with the churches now, and he'll walk with us in the future. Actually, in your word it says that the dwelling place of God will be with man. And Lord, we can't wait for that day. It's going to be, it'll be a great day. For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, it'll be a great day. It'll be a great and terrible day for those who reject the truth of who Jesus is. And so until that day, Lord, we'll continue to live out our faith. We'll continue to put it into practice. We'll continue to encourage others to know this Jesus that has changed us. Um, thank you for the people that you put around us, whether they be sitting right next to us today or the, the ones that we come in contact with throughout our work week or through school or even the ones that we have yet to meet, but you're going to place them in our life for a purpose. We thank you for them. So would you unpack this word in such a way that we can just receive it and walk it out all the days of our life. We just think in Jesus' name, amen. So, so many different resources and so many different voices in the world today about the meaning and of all the symbolism, all the things that are going on in the book of Revelation. One of the people that I, uh, that I respect and, and trust for his, for his just teaching and his, just his education and his ability to, to rightly divide the word of God is a guy named David Platt, who is the, now he's the Southern Baptist Convention's International Mission Board's president. And uh, when I first met David, he was a young youth pastor, and I, we were at a youth camp way back in the day. It was probably the late 90s, and we were at Windermere Baptist Con Church Conference Camp, whatever. And this guy walked in, and he had memorized like the last five chapters of, of the book of Psalm and just, just rattled it off, just through memorization. The guy, guys loved the Word of God, and, and I began to develop a, a respect for him then, and he was, he's about 10 years younger than I am, but has, has done some incredible things. Wrote the book called Radical, and if you've heard this, Taking Back Your Faith from the American Dream, and that book uh, will kind of shake your foundation, challenge you a little bit. And so he, he has some words to share about this, and so I'll, I'll use a little bit of what he has to share, and then obviously we'll, we'll look at what God's Word has to say. If you have your Bible with you, turn to the book of Revelation, to the, to the end of the story. The end, which is actually, someday will be the beginning of the rest of the story. And so there's four different approaches that you can take when you look at the book of Revelation. So the, this is the no piece, all right, the things that you need to know. The first approach would be called the Praetorius or Praetorius approach to it, which basically means you're looking at Revelation as something that was only intended for those people then, for the early Christians. 
Uh, even historians would say that everything that happened in the book of, of Revelation happened up until the point of A.D. 70 when the t- temple was destroyed um, and the center of worship of God's people was, was wiped out. But if you stop there, if you just say, well, okay, oh, maybe that's the truth, you just stop there, then you miss out on the great coming of the Lord at the end of the book of Revelation. We miss out on, the, on Jesus coming and establishing his kingdom here on earth. And, and, and I, man, I would hate to miss out. I would hate to say that that has already happened. If that's already happened and this is all there is and we're just waiting to die, then we have really no hope. Like if this is as good as it's going to get or if it's as bad as it's going to get. And so there's one way approaching it that way. Another one is this historical approach to the book of Revelation, which basically says that all of church history is fulfilling the things that we see in this book. And we're looking for ways to try to reconcile verse by verse and this verse or that verse of what happened in church history up until this point. It's a historical approach. Third, maybe, is a symbolic approach. Like, there are some people who believe that the Revelation is just a symbolic battle between Christ and Satan, good and evil, in which you just interpret it that way. Obviously, you see that there is a cosmic war going on. And it's a war that we cannot see with our own eyes. But John is given the opportunity to, to uh, go into that place where he's given the eyes to see. He's given this apocalyptic vision of this battle that is, is happening. And, you know, we talked about that last week. You know, the devil is like a lion prowling around. He's looking for people to devour. There is a war for your soul, ladies and gentlemen. It's just true. And because of that, do we live in fear like I talked about last week? Oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. What should we do? Let's just, let's just get some can of green beans and a big jug of water and let's hide ourselves in a locked door and not come out. That's really ineffective for us as Christians. That's not what he's calling us to do. He doesn't call us to live in fear that way. And we'll kind of jump into a little bit, a bit, a little bit of that later. So it's the symbolism that we see. Then the fourth is this futuristic interpretation which basically says... That, uh, that everything from Revelation 4 to the end of the book is something that is going to happen someday. And this is probably the way most American, modern-day American Christians view this book. Like, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. We're waiting for it to take place. Well, here's what I think. This is the thing David Platt had to say. that it was meant for first century Christians. And, and we'll see that here in just a minute. John is given this word and he's sharing it with the churches. Just like all throughout the New Testament, especially as we looked at Paul's writings, Paul was given a word and he read it to the churches. And he said, this is what you need to know right now. But as the church today, we can, we can look back and say, this is what we need to learn right now. We need to walk in the same way. We need to apply this to our own life. And we'll see some of that uh, at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. There was application for them. Huge application. And the, and the gospel's effect of what was going on at their time was, was, was obviously very important. Then it makes it pretty clear at the beginning of the book that there's a prophecy. There's, there's a look out of what the, um, the book is telling us about as a whole. Like what's coming in the future. There are all kinds of incidents in Scripture where when we see the Old Testament, we look back at the Old Testament, we see prophecy of something that is going to happen. 
Um, Jesus was prophesied about over and over again. All these different details into Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were told about beforehand, and then they happened later on. I love where it says that all of these things were eventually and will eventually be fulfilled in Christ. Like Jesus will make all these things happen. And we'll see it at the very end of the book of Revelation. And so this is the kind of picture that we're, we're seeing here. We're looking at these two different lenses through what is meant for the people at the time, but is also meant for all people of all time. So I was, I was wrestling with this. Hey, if you don't know me, then I'll just be honest with you. I am not, I don't have a PhD. I haven't spent hours upon hours upon hours in a seminary class. And so when, when it comes to situations like this, like, I'm like, God, I need some, I'm like, I'm desperate, Lord. <laughs> I'm desperate, I need some help. I need some, revel- I need some revelation <laughs> about revelation. And I was thinking about this thought. I was thinking, I know it's in the book of Revelation where it says this phrase, he was, he is, and he is to come. And so when I think about the book of Revelation, I think about what was, what is going on right now in our world, in our life, and what is to come. And that's, that's kind of the lens that I choose to look at, uh, look through. Platt goes on and he says, this, this book was written by John when he was called and exiled onto this isle called Patmos. And this, during this time, Nero had, was the emperor. And then after Nero was, was done reigning, a guy named Domitian came along. Okay? And Domitian was a cold-blooded murderer. He was wreaking havoc on the church. Nero had been horrible, but Domitian was horrible as far as persecuting the church. As a result, John has been exiled because John obviously is passionate about the church. He's passionate about Christ being the king. And when you start talking about somebody else being the king, the king doesn't like that. And so the king's going to do everything possible to squelch that voice so that his power and his authority doesn't get questioned. By the time John wrote this book, he was probably in his 90s. So here's this old man at the end of his life. He's got one last shot, one last chance to tell the church to stand firm, to not give up. It's a good word for us today, right? Remember last week we stood up and said, if you came in today and you have trials, you got things going on, stand up and we'll pray for you. We're all, we're all, as a matter of fact, everybody, almost everybody stood up because the reality is we all have them. We all have these things that we're working through, and the word is, is to stand firm, to be patient in the midst of, of suffering. So John's writing this book. So, he, so David, David Platt says, first of all, look at the Old Testament throughout Revelation. Something we get so caught up in um, in thinking is that the Revelation is about the future, and we start getting into the left-behind mode, all right? And I, Tony and I were talking about that. And he's like, man, I'm just glad you didn't show some clip from the Left Behind movie, you know, where uh, all your clothes are left in the seats and you disappear, you know. That'd be awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome if we had some way of, like, bringing somebody up out of the seat into the upper rafter there and you, they just disappear? It'd be like Disney could do something like that. If we get caught up in that, we miss, we miss all these other things that God is trying to say. Like, the Old Testament is all throughout the book of Revelation. Out of 404 verses, there are 278 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. That's incredible. 278 out of 404. And there's books that are, that are mentioned predominantly, like the book of Psalms, the prophecies in Daniel, Zechariah, Genesis, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Joel. 
It, and David says this, he says, it's really neat to see how Genesis and Revelation serve as a, a bookends to the Bible. It's an incredible picture to see how this is no accident that Genesis said what it said and Revelation says what it says. It all comes together. And we really see the unity of the Bible in the book of Revelation. I talk about uh, this a lot when I do weddings. I talk about, you know, in the, the Bible started with the wedding and ended with a wedding celebration. Started with the I do, <laughs> and it started with a, a, a consummation of that and a celebration. And that's what the, that's what the Bible is like. It starts with the wedding in the Genesis, and it ends with this great celebration. And then all the life that happens in between. So with these two lenses, what was, what was needed at the time, what we need to hear today and in the future, let's look at the book of Revelation. God, that he is the king. Which, oddly enough, it's funny, the commission had a real problem with his self-esteem because he was bald. And he often would wear wigs to try to offset that because he just felt so uncomfortable about himself. He was the king, but I think it was, he probably had to overcompensate for his in, inadequacies and his insecurities by taking it out on other people. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody in your life that does that? That kind of takes that out on other people? Well, this is the way Domitian was. And he had power and authority to do it. It was given to him. His it was kind of like a, it was a family thing. And so, he, so he's there. The churches are in this area. And they are all struggling with reconcile. How do we keep the king happy? But how do we keep the king happy? Isn't that such an incredible picture in our own lives? How do we please the people in our culture, in our context, and the people we're around? And at the same time, how, do am, I, how am I walking in obedience and pleasing the one who holds my very life in his hands? There's the cosmic battle right there. And we walk in that, in that tension every single day. So he's writing a letter to the churches. And so he says, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I love it. I mean, right at the beginning, John's like, let's just make it, let's just make it clear. The mission, whoever's in charge at the time, they're not the king. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from the sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve this God or serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It starts out with this incredible prayer. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am, Jesus says, the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. John says, I, John, your brother and companion in, in suffering and in this kingdom and patient endurance, 
that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of, of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a voice, a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head, and, his head and hair were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand he held the seven stars, and out of his mouth came the sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all his brilliance. And when I saw him, his only response would be the same response you and I would have. He fell at his feet. He fell at his feet. The seven lampstands are the churches. And what is a lampstand supposed to do? What is a lampstand? What's its job? You give light, right? A lampstand would be the thing that you put the light upon to shine light to the rest of the, the rest of the room or wherever it's at. So if the churches are the lampstand, I believe that they are to reflect the light of Jesus in the world. That's, what the, that's why the church exists, ladies and gentlemen. That's why this church, this why this church should exist. If it starts to exist for any other reason, somebody tell me. Because then we just shut the doors. This church does not exist for my glory. This church does not exist for your benefit, really. Ask not what you can do for your country or what the country can do for you. Well, what you can do for the country, it's kind of the same thing with the church, right? If we come into church thinking, hey, what is the church going to do for me? What's in it for me? What's on the menu for me? That's how we lived most of the rest of our life, right? But when we come to church, we come because, like, I am here. I am here for him. And then I'm here for them. I'm here to serve him, love him, and I'm here to bless others. Does that make sense? And so the church is supposed to be this reflection of the light of the world, the reflection of Jesus. And so John is told to write to these churches, but because I think what's going on is he, he is writing to the churches telling them, hey, you're, some of you are doing it okay. Some of you have got some things that you need to work on, and, and we're going to talk about it. So listen what, uh, listen what, he, what he says, um, and I'll, we'll just re- we're not going to read through all of it, but I'll, I'll get to it in just a second here. John is encouraging them to be strengthened, and he's warning them to walk in obedience. And he's telling them it's about, it's about to get worse <laughs> before it gets better. But he says it's going to be worth it, right? Jesus is coming, and he is worth it. Do you agree? Is there an amen in there somewhere? Jesus is worth it. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm only gonna, we're only going to look at two. We only have time for two. The first one is Philadelphia. It says, I know your deeds. I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
And since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is about to come upon the whole earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. To him who overcomes, I'll write on him a new name. That's what I believe happens in the midst of, in the moment of salvation. When you put your trust and faith in Jesus and you leave the old life behind, walk in a new, you become a new creation, you get a new name. Your name is written differently in the book of life. Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Pick one, he says. Because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say you are rich, but you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, come to me and I will heal you. I am rebuking you because I love you, so be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that awesome? In this world, you will have trouble. Amen? But take heart, because I've overcome the world. Amen? This morning, if you have an ear, hear what the Spirit is saying to you at church. What do you think the Lord would say to churches in America? If John was writing the letter... The churches in America. What would he say? What would he say to our church? I mean, we're only three years in. We're still toddlers, right? We're just learning to walk. We're learning to, to, to we can talk now. We're, we're functioning. What would he say to our church? What would he say to us in the church? Well, if I had to pick out of these seven, I would pick Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I, I like that. You know, you... You're, you have little strength. I mean, you're, you're really not there yet. I mean, a lot of people never, will never think we're a legitimate church because we don't have our own building. You know? Like, when are you going to get a real building? Like, when I was a youth pastor over and over again, hey, when are you going to become a real pastor? I don't know. I thought I was a pastor. <laughs> you know? Like, I guess I have to be like a senior pastor in order to be really, um, really be a pastor myself. So you have to have a building like a church. But the church is not a building. The church is a people who come to go out and reflect the light of this Christ that lives in them, right? That's what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Then John goes from being consumed, man, we got, we got a hustle. John goes from being consumed by his surroundings to being consumed by the worship going on in heaven. Do you see in chapter 4, in chapter 5, where these Four living creatures that are just incredible. Like, what if you could just see kind of these things with your eyes? It's just unbelievable. And they were six wings covered with eyes all around them. Day and night, they never stopped crying, never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You know, they were created to give worship. People, we were created to give worship. 
to offer up worship to the king. That's why we exist. And we all do it in a little different ways. Whether it's through song or through our coming and plugging in amps to make them work, whether it's serving coffee or whatever it is, it's helping our neighbor, helping those in need. It's worship, and that's why we are created. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I love how John was got to see that. Man, if we could see worship going on in heaven today, would it change us today? Would it adjust the way we see the rest of our world? Would it change the way we see each other? I don't know. I I would think so. I don't think John was ever the same again after this. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him. I love it. The leaders of the church are the examples. And they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, You are worthy, O Lord. Or our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? That's the Bible. These are not my words, it's the Bible. And if we get so caught up, this is what David Platt says, if we get so caught up, and all of the other parts of the beast and the part of this dragon and start getting focused on these little minute things, then maybe we're missing the point of why it was depicted this way. John interprets the most important images. Listen to this. He interprets the most important images. The most important images we need to know exactly are, they, are what they are, as you see them in Scripture. We're not left in jeopardy and trying to figure out all these things. He makes it very clear. Pay attention to the fixed images throughout the book. There are certain images that represent judgment or certain images that represent blessing that we can really focus on and pay attention to. And these things that repeat and reoccur are the things that you need to camp on. Like here's a thought, here's an idea. Look at this. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, look at verse 9. 6, 9. All right, we're we're jumping forward obviously because we're running out of time. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And to each one of them, it says, a, uh, was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been as they had been, was completed. There was persecution then, there's persecution now, and there'll be persecution tomorrow for those who follow Jesus. And these people are crying out, Lord, when is this going to happen? And then look for just a little bit. Look at verse 19, or um, excuse me, 15. Here's the, listen, look at the contrast between these people who say, Lord, we've given up everything for you, even our lives. When are you going to come? And listen to, the, listen to this in verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals and the rich and mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Talk about a different picture of people who said, We've given everything for you, Lord Jesus, and you are worth it. When are you going to come? And you got people who are like, No, I can't. Please don't let it come. I can't stand it. And that's the difference with those who have put their faith in Jesus. 
and those who still refuse to bow their knee. Then, now, and tomorrow. As you go through this story, you'll see great destruction. You'll see great times. Of tr- and it says people still refuse to bow. And I, and I wrote in my notes, what will it take? What will it take till we get serious about this Jesus who's so serious for us? It's unbelievable. I mean, you can look at chapter 13 and you can, we can start wrestling with the whole idea of the Antichrist. You know, the Antichrist is, is just a God substitute. It's a Jesus substitute. And you know what? Here's the reality. There's all kinds of those in the world we live in today. All kinds of them. Things that want to set themselves up above the preeminence and the, the, uh, the value of who Jesus is. All kinds of things. Paul talked about it. He talked about it. He called, he called, he called him actually the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In four verses he says, Consider the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us. Even then, they were trying to tell people, oh, the, the, um, the resurrection, or the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus has already happened. It's already happened, so go on about your life. He says, he says, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will come, won't come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That was going on then. That's going on today. The problem is, is we don't see it very clearly because we don't have the eyes to see like John was able to see then. We don't see these things that set themselves up above God. But if you look closely in your own life, what are the things that we give worship to? What are the things that we give, we pay homage to, not even really knowing it? What are those things? And do we allow those things to somehow exalt themselves over Jesus? And that's a challenge for all of us. It's a challenge for me. If I allow the church to become greater than Jesus to me, if I allow you to become greater to me than Jesus is to me, then I've done a disservice to you. Then I shouldn't be standing here. And there's a real temptation. I don't, I mean, Domination, he didn't know Jesus. I don't have an excuse. I know him. And I love him. And he loves me. Deception calls for patient endurance. Did you hear me? Be careful in the world we live in. Deception calls for patient endurance. Then, now, and tomorrow. He says patiently endure. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Remember who he was. Remember who he is. And remember who he is to come. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that the truth? Yesterday, today, and forever. And then finally, at the end of the story, and we've got to get there, finally see the majesty of God in Christ over all this revelation. Dominion had claimed that he was Lord and God. <laughs> he wanted to be addressed as Lord and God. But over and over again, John says, you are not Lord. 
you are not God. And he makes it clear who is. And then we see at the end of the story, when there's a picture of what heaven's going to look like, (laughs) the new kingdom, the new earth, this new dwelling with God, with his people. We get that picture and then we hear Jesus say these words, Behold, I am coming soon. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. This is in 22. And I'll give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Creation, the way it was meant to be, will be restored in the end. That is the gospel that we will preach. <laughs> until the day of Christ Jesus. Till the day, you know, um, you just rescues us out of that stuff maybe he will maybe he won't you might have to go through it i don't know you might feel like you're in the midst of it right now you know prepare for posts prepare like you might have to walk through this but you know what